BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Yes, who? I, of course I would fuck Elon Musk for the right amount of money. Which is which what? Is, Six million dollars or more. Uh, Miles, what what number did you just throw out? I'm not gonna lie about what I said. I'll say it again. Mm-hmm. I'll okay. fuck him for four hundred bucks. <laughs> wow. No, definitely not. <laughs> you know why? Because I'll turn it into a story. I'll I'll, I'll make money like on the back of that. You I'm know. just letting you launching just... on the iHeart Radio Network in April 2023. <laughs> I fucked Elon Musk. <laughs> no money, no, no amount of money in the world. Space X X X. Miles Gray and Elon Musk, a match made in hell. You really cornered me. Mm-hmm. See, you had me on the show just to get me to say some shit like that. That's wild. Anyway, and I do it for. It was uh, not maybe, difficult. That's all I'm I, gonna say. I think I would throw out 10 million first, but I would go as low as six. That's good. I think don't tell realistic. don't tell him that. No, I don't mean I don't mean to like you know yeah cheapen it. I would realistically, I think for it to really work for me, I'll probably do it for like six fifty. Mm-hmm. Wow, <laughs> Jesus! <laughs> so like two car payments. <laughs> yeah, or at least like yeah. a PS five and some controllers. Okay. No, that is good. Yeah, PS five would be nice. PS five and controllers. Um, yeah. Great. What if he just cut? What if he just shows up at your house with a PS five and controllers? <laughs> <laughs> well then you know what i'm telling alexa to put on some smooth jazz mm-hmm. there we go smooth oh jazz that's your move God. with with elon musk oh yeah it's me and uh you know uh david sanborn mm. you see you i know. think i would try because i'm younger than him so there's probably he can't tell the difference between me and a teenager um i would put <coughs> on like like austrian yodeling albums and try to convince him it's what like the kids were into these days it's like everybody on reddit loves these yodeling albums elon <laughs> and then try to see if we can get him to tweet about like his favorite yodelers right i right. bet we could do it <laughs> like <laughs> just running so you want to run an op on him okay well i want to get paid first like yeah, payment yeah, yeah. payment is first and then fucking with them a little bit sure well you gotta you we have to run an op on someone to show like the the, the veracity of our claims like there's strength to the business model you know what yeah I mean? where you can absolutely. be like this is actually how our marketing works like we run ops on celebrities and they yeah. unwittingly support your products mm-hmm. yeah so big yodeling get at me right if you want to get it on the ground floor if you're representing a yodeler uh, and you want Elon Musk to tweet about them? I probably can't make that happen. But there is what if the, I did? There is that, that would be one funny. like really famous like child who yodeled in Walmart. Like I feel like Elon Musk would be like 
down. Oh yeah, that kid's yep. all that kid's like forty three now, and he's all like his yodeling's all fucked up because his voice changed. <laughs> no, yeah, because his oh yeah, because he and was like he went yeah. like he went like hard right too. I think he's 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 a proud boy now. Yeah. So Elon, <laughs> so Elon, what you're saying is Elon Musk would love him. Mm-hmm. I'm yeah, sure. Um. Well, welcome to Behind the Bastards, the podcast that is oh, three right. and a half minutes in. Um, we talk about bad people. This week we're talking about Clarence Thomas. Um, so boy, how do we how do we get from there to here? Um, good stuff. So in 1971, Clarence Thomas enters Yale Law School. Um, you know, he he graduates from that that school he goes to in fucking Wooster, right? Um, uh-huh. and he's a pretty for those years he's in Wooster, he's a pretty hardcore like black nationalist activist um but in 1971 he enters yale uh he is one of 12 black students on the entire campus uh thanks to an affirmative action program recently instituted in the school that mandated 10 percent of the class not be white kids you will remember that it was in the 1960s when yale removed their secret caps on jewish students so like yale is shall we say a little bit behind the curve (laughs) on integration oh my Um, god so uh, huh. yeah uh this program helps him get into yale um but it also makes clear the fact that he'd gotten into yale through an affirmative action program makes him feel as if he has a target on his back uh quote you had to prove yourself every day because the presumption was that you were dumb and didn't deserve to be there he later added as much as it had stung to be told i'd done well in high school despite my race it was far worse to feel that i was now at yale because of it mm. um which, yeah, man, that that's that's a whole thing. But also, like, it wasn't your lack of ability that would have kept you out of Yale earlier. It was that somebody had to force Yale admissions to accept people who weren't ro- white. <laughs> like, right? Like, that is the thing. It's not that you couldn't do Yale. It's that Yale had to be forced to Yale be Yale wouldn't do you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, anyway, uh, Thomas has always been... A pretty conservative guy by personality, even when he was a radical, it was kind of rooted in very traditional ideas he had about the family and about gender roles. Um, He remained religious as hell, even after he left the seminary, the Bill Gates Seaman School. Uh, He felt (laughs) discipline and an authoritarian upbringing were important for kids to have. But he was also a registered Democrat because his family was and because he supported the civil rights movement because, you know, there weren't like that's what you did. Right. Like that's what his family did. Like that was the the only reasonable option as he saw it for a very long time. <laughs> right. Um, it was at Yale then that Clarence finally starts moving away from politically aligning himself with liberals. He's never really been a liberal. Right. Right. But he votes with them and like, yeah, um, he starts to make that actual move towards a conservative political party uh, and towards conservative more like more of an open embrace of conservative ideology while he's at Yale. Uh, and I'm going to quote again from the New Yorker here. At Yale, Thomas developed an understanding of racism that he would never shake. Whites, Southern and Northern, liberal and conservative, rural and urban, are racists. Racism, Thomas would tell students at Mercer University in 1993, has has complex and to a certain degree undiscoverable roots. Not knowing its beginning, we can't know its end. The most that can be hoped for is that whites be honest about it. Honesty is demonstrated through crude statements of personal animus or intellectual suggestions of racial inequality. Dishonesty is demonstrated through denial of one's racism and sympathetic extensions of help. Dishonesty lulls black people into a false sense of security, assuring them that they are safe when they are not. One of Thomas's favorite songs is the 1971 hit, Smiling Faces Sometimes, by The Undisputed Truth. Its classic lyric, Smiling Faces, Smiling Faces Tell Lies, resonates with his experience of northern white liberals. Among the virtues of the Reagan administration, he has said, was the fact that no one there was smiling in your face. So, wow. If we're taking Thomas's experience on this, like what the way he describes it is that he goes to seminary, everyone there is super racist and like conservative, and he hates that. But then he goes to like fancy northern liberal towns and schools, and yeah. everyone there is just as racist but pretends not to be. And he decides, well, I guess I prefer the unabashed racists. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean this. There's not no point there, right? Huh? There's not no point there. No, not at all. There's validity to what he's saying. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, look at 
just the what we what we saw in 2020 with people yeah. donning kente cloth and taking a knee exactly and for what just to always come back and be like well you know qualified immunity let's not go too far yeah, with yeah. anything <laughs> and you're like well then what yeah. the fuck was that and again to his point a false sense of security mm-hmm. uh and we then we are not we are yeah. in fact seeing the opposite of that and then on the other side of it he's like Man, these people, you know where the fuck they're at. Yeah, you know where all the Reagan's people are coming from because right. they are racist as shit. Yeah, and <laughs> yeah. they don't say shit because they, they're racist and yeah. they know it. They know the rules of racism. Yeah. Um. So, in the end, Yale le- winds up leaving a pretty harsh taste in his mouth. Uh, his gla- grades are... We don't really know exactly what his grades are, right? Uh, he has remained, like, people will say that he was kind of an, uh, uh, a, a middle-of-the-road student. We don't really know because his academic rep- records remain sealed at his urging. Uh, journalists mm. who spoke to his professors repeat the same story. He was a pretty average student. Uh, upon leaving Yale, he applied to a number of high-end law firms, but he was not hired by any of them. Um and this is probably less a factor of his grades than the fact that he was middle class and black, right? He doesn't have connections to these big money law firms that he's trying to get jobs with, right? which is ultimately why Yale people get hired. It's not just that they went to Yale and it's certainly not their grades. It's that their dad is somebody who's connected to people who run the fucking law firm or they make <laughs> friends or whatever, right? Right. Um, <clears throat> Years later, Thomas would tell a law school class, quote, since my reason for going to law school in the first place was to return to Savannah to assist in righting the wrongs, which I felt existed there throughout my childhood, I can't say this was a high point. If anything, I was steeped in frustration. And this is definitely a thing where he's like lying like hell, because mm-hmm. over the last couple of decades since his emergence as a public figure, Thomas has made a big deal about how he got into law because he wanted to join the crusade for civil rights. And again, like right wrongs that he'd seen as a kid. This was a big part of the pitch he made his grandfather. Um, and this is, again, very untrue because the one job Thomas was actually offered right out of Yale, was at a Savannah law term uh, firm. And he had spent the summer interning at this firm. And they did a lot of that kind of work. And he turns the job down because it doesn't pay enough. Um, now, Clarence was ultimately willing to take a job that paid poorly, but not one that would let him serve his community in Savannah. Instead, he takes a low-paid job with Jack Danforth, the Republican Attorney General of Missouri. Now, Danforth... He's this kind of thing that doesn't exist anymore. He was like a liberal Republican, and mm-hmm. he was on his own concerned with the fact that, again, he's the attorney general of Missouri. On his own, he's like, wow, this staff is too fucking white. We need to have some people who are not white guys around here. So he hires Clarence Thomas because he's like, I think as the AG, we need to have like black lawyers representing people, too, because it's fucking right. Missouri, um, which is good. Um Thomas does not like this because it smacks of affirmative action, which he deeply resented. And because, again, he wants a high paid legal career. And this is not that. Um, And, you know, he is initially not really super enthused by this offer either, but he eventually decides to take it. And his friend Clarence Martin later told Jane Mayer, quote, by the time he went to Missouri, he was very disillusioned. He didn't want the attorney general's job. He never wanted to be part of the government. And in fact, he resented it. He'd wanted to be this great trial lawyer in private practice, but he lost his self-confidence after all the Atlanta firms turned him down. So, Mm. yeah. That's uh, that's the call that he makes is to get his start in Republican politics with this guy, Danforth. Um, now, because it's Missouri, he has to pass the state bar to do it, which is like, you know, you got to do an exam in every state to be able to do law shit there. Right. Because um, lawyers. Yeah. Yeah. It's a whole thing. Um, so while he's counter he has, to what you might hear on TikTok, apparently mm-hmm. that's not true. But now I know. You now have you to. Know. You can't just do it in one state. Yeah, you can't just do it in one state, Miles. Mm-hmm. Your your state of uh, of of the District of Columbia law certificate that you uh, you have printed out above your desk. C O L O M B I A. So yeah, he's got to spend the summer uh, like cramming to pass the bar exam in Missouri. So he winds up crashing at the house of a St. Louis NAACP chairperson while he crams all summer for the exam. Um, at the end of the summer, he tries to pay her and she told, tells him to, quote, help someone who is in your position in the future. Um, basically pay it forward. Pay it right? forward. Again, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. 
So Thomas joins the Danforth administration as a conservative Democrat, but in short order, he starts to see how this low-paid entry-level position with the Republican Party might lead him to the kind of clout and wealth that he sought. The key would be remaking himself as a political conservative. Cindy Faddis, who knew him when he worked for Danforth, recalled, he said that he thought he'd have an advantage as a Republican. Thomas is said to have stated, if I belonged to the Republican Party, I could go farther. After that, the change was rather sudden and jarring, as this quote from the book Strange Justice makes clear. Clarence Martin, who visited Thomas in Missouri, found the transformation in his formerly liberal friend, with whom he had worked only the summer before, to be quite remarkable. Gone was Thomas's college dorm room poster of Malcolm X, replaced by an oversized poster of a Rolls-Royce. No longer dwelling on being shut out of private practice, Thomas now had a new avenue for his ambitions. As a Republican, he told Martin, he planned a big future in politics. I remember him sitting with his feet up on the desk, smoking a cigar, said Martin. I saw a change in Clarence then. He said... The Republicans are going places in the next 10 years, and I'm going to attach my wagon to their star. Martin forgave Thomas's apparent ideological expedience. In many ways, he was already conservative in his social views, Martin noted, and he really admired Danforth. I'd ask him, how can you become a Republican? And he'd say, blacks need to be on both sides, and these people are in power. It was a matter of practicality. All right. Uh, So we've got to the part where he became Darth Vader. Uh He's doing that. He's going... And it's interesting because Danforth is, you could draw a line between Danforth and his current position because Danforth is very Mm -hmm. anti-abortion. But Danforth is also, again, a liberal Republican. And one of the weirdest things that we really don't have anymore, he's ideologically consistent. So he is also an anti-death penalty crusader. Mm. So he's a Republican who is like really violently against the death penalty and against abortion. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Which at least suggests that he's, yeah, being consistent in the things that he's claiming. Um, But yeah, this is like, this is where Thomas gets his start in politics. Mm. Um, Now, one of his colleagues at the Savannah law firm where he had done his interning, a guy named Fletcher Farrington, who later supported his nomination to the Supreme Court, insists that Thomas was not a, quote, complete opportunist, but that, quote, to some extent, his politics were shaped by his opportunities. At the core of everything, then, is the fact that Thomas's real goal, more than anything, was to attain a position that gave him wealth and prestige. As Farrington put it, his ambition was not to make a particular change in society, but to go as far as he could go. And I think that is something, you know, despite the fact that his grandfather winds up disappointed in him for not helping his community, um... That's something that's very consistent with the upbringing he has, right? All that matters is the work. All that matters is like getting the best position you can in what society, you do, yeah. right? And you need to move further than, than I was able to, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he definitely is his grandfather's son. Um, all right. You know what? Now I'm rooting for him again. Now you're back on board. Yeah, you're back, back on, on board. Yeah. All right. Uh, Go, CC. Mm-hmm. Well, we are about to get to the Reagan administration, which I know is your favorite period in American political yeah, history, AKA Miles. My, my dad's uh, explanation why there were unhoused people when I asked him <laughs> as a four-year-old. Oh, good. Yeah. Was he a because Reagan closed the institutions guy? Yeah, I was like, yeah. I remember being a bummed yeah. out, like, four-year-old person, and, like, you know, we were, like, giving food to, like, some unhoused people. I was like, why did some people, like, have to live there? And my dad's like, because of Ronald Reagan. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what? I'm what? four. I don't know what that means. And I remember saying that shit in like first grade. And like my teacher's like, who the fuck are you? (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. Oh, that's good stuff. You know what else is good, Miles? Hmm. Capitalism. Oh, yeah. Which is the real reason why all of those people aren't able to live indoors. Um, Capitalism, Miles. Sweet lady capitalism. Mm -hmm. Have you ever felt like the world's not getting hot enough, fast enough. No. Yes. Maybe you're sitting in England and going 40 degrees Celsius. That's not that high. 40 is a low number. Yeah. Well, the only Celsius I know is crypto. All of these products and services will help keep those numbers high. Put them on the board, baby. Put them on the board. How are we doing, Sophie? Is that good? It made you smile, so I'm on board. Look, I can go back to come anytime. Don't I know it? That's that's always yeah. an option. That's on the table. On the table. We can bring Dr. Kellogg right back into this. Yeah. Yeah. Let's take <laughs> Kellogg back. America's great cum doctor. Speaking mm-hmm. of America's great cum doctor, try these products and services. 
BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City Featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. On average, it takes about 30 days for a person to break their New Year's resolution. So if saving money was on your 2024 list, your odds aren't looking that great. Luckily, you have a 100% guaranteed way to save you money this year. Just switch to Mint Mobile. Right now, Mint Mobile has wireless plans starting at 15 bucks a month. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for 15 bucks a month. If you hate your phone bill, Mint Mobile offers premium wireless for 15 bucks a month. All plans come with unlimited talk, text, and high-speed data on the nation's largest 5G network. Mint Mobile gives you the best rate whether you're buying one or for a family, and at Mint, families start at two lines. So switch to Mint Mobile and get your first three months of premium wireless starting at just 15 bucks a month. To get your new wireless plan for 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com slash behind. That's mintmobile.com slash behind. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash behind. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. Oh, we're back. Clarence Thomas was good at his first job in government, by which I mean he pleased all of the people he needed to get another job in government that was better. Uh, it is worth noting that at one point, while he is working as you know a lawyer in the AG's office in the state of Missouri, uh, Roe v. Wade comes up. Um, his boss, obviously, Danforth, opposes the ruling, and he challenges it in a court case, Danforth v. Planned Parenthood. It was later noted by colleagues that Clarence Thomas expressed no particular interest in this case. So at least at this point, people who work with him when there's like a big fight over Planned Parenthood in their office are like, yeah, he didn't really give a shit. Mm-hmm. Um, now, this is not to say that Thomas didn't talk about abortion during this period in his life. His mother recalled him saying that he opposed abortion on demand because if she'd had one, he wouldn't exist. <laughs> um, oh, oh my God. <laughs> now, that said, that said, at another point, his sister has an abortion because the doc, she's already had several kids and a doctor warns her she might die if she carries this fetus to term that she had some kind of health condition, right? Um, and Clarence is said to be understanding of this. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, if you're looking for kind of like a very clear like line between the guy who ends Roe v. Wade and this dude, it's not in his actual opinions on Roe v. Wade because more than anything, he barely seems to have one, right? Right. Um, so one interesting thing about Thomas's career is that for a Supreme Court judge, he basically doesn't spend any time in court arguing cases. 
Um, that is not his job. He wants to be a great trial lawyer, right? right. He wants because like that's where the fucking money is. Um, but he doesn't ever really do that. The time he's 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 in he's works for Danforth for about two and a half years, and this is the only time in his entire career as a judge where he is litigating anything, or his entire career in law where he litigates anything at all, right? Mm -hmm. So these are not interesting cases. His first major victory was an argument restricting the use of vanity license plates by rich people. Uh, he was noted, right? Like, that's not really a big deal, you know? Um, he was noted by some as being the office clown, though, which is consistent with a number of recollections of people who worked with him over the years. Now, depending on who you ask, you might also consider him an office bully. However, the person that he spent the time bullying in the office was John Ashcroft. So I'm not going to say that this goes in the bastard column for him. I think it's completely fine to bully John Ashcroft. Yeah, all right, all right. Maybe, yeah. maybe, maybe you got a point here. Okay, that, I'm back. I'm that back. gets I'm that back. gets you one year out of hell if we're going yeah. by Catholic rules. One hundred percent. When you're Bush's AG, <laughs> why not? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um. So obviously, John Ashcroft, if you don't know, was a religious weirdo who was like a man built entirely out of hangups. Um, <laughs> And Clarence Thomas, <laughs> as we are, we will discuss, loves to make extremely sexual jokes and comments to his coworkers. So a big part of what he do is deliberately try to flush, fluster John Ashcroft by bringing up things that are inappropriate. Um, <laughs> now again, the fuck. I will be honest here. I am a little bit drawing a line there because all the writing on his time with Ashcroft said was that he attempted to like deliberately try to fluster him. Um, mm. But I'm bringing up the sex stuff because one of the most important things to know about working with Clarence Thomas is that the man loves, Miles loves pornography. Absolutely huge oh porn guy. God. I don't All think right. you're ready for what a porn guy <laughs> Clarence Thomas is. What well, I mean, what, what would I even, I'm trying to even think of what I would describe if you said, what's a porn guy to you? I yeah. Would say somebody who has like a couple like who subscribes to some magazines okay. if we're going like okay. old school physical media okay. days and has like you know like like a shelf of tapes okay That's this like is interesting this yeah. is interesting miles um i'm going to describe to you what clarence thomas does about porn later and you okay. tell me if you think porn guy is the right thing to call him but okay that's fine and look you know i'm, I'm not you know do you but yeah i'm but fuck this guy okay we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute now thomas's relationship with his mother was strained for completely understandable reasons he grows up in a primarily male environment and he seems to have gone from awkward around women to sometimes hostile around women. Uh, when he was a black civil rights activist, he came from the camp who saw sexual equality as not a worthy battle. Like it's about racial equality. We're not here to fight for sexual equality. That's a bad idea. Um, we're, we're here for liberation, kind of. Yeah, exactly. Again, this is every, it's like the suffragettes in the twenties being like, women need to vote. Well, just white not, women, really. Like, not you or you or you. Yeah, yeah. Not you. Certainly not you. But us. Um, not that it was all of them. Just like not that. But anyway. Like, yeah. This it, is, it, this it's, is, it's never perfect. At the event, yes. The start of it. Mo it turns out movements that make meaningful achievements are often filled with people who still believe shitty things. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, when when he starts going to Yale and he starts to turn away from those activist beliefs, he keeps the chauvinism. One female classmate later recalled, at that time, I didn't know the word male chauvinist. But now looking back, I can say he defined the term. He barely spoke to women. He was so condescending and accustomed to them being subservient that when I'd offer an opinion in a conversation, it irritated him. When I talked, he'd just ignore me. He'd only talk to the men. He thought women belonged in the kitchen. So oh, wow. he does marry a woman, uh, Kathy Ambush, um, which is a funny name to have, Ambush. Mm -hmm. uh, and they stayed together for something like a decade. She is very traditional, which suits him. She's super Catholic. But Catholics are liberal, right? Traditionally in American mm -hmm. politics. So she's also, she's very traditional. She is kind of the I'm going to stay at home and like be a homemaker type uh, wife, but also she's deeply committed to being a political liberal, and this becomes a huge source of tension for them. Now, as I've said before, Thomas is loudly conservative in his social values. He rails against premarital sex. He had he apparently told enough friends that it got out to reporters that he would leave his wife if she cheated on him immediately. Um, like, this is just a thing he talks about to people. 
Um, at the same time, he has a somewhat unhinged obsession with pornography. And more to the point, Miles, he has a little bit of a habit of sharing it with his co-workers. And I'm okay. going to quote now from Strange Justice. While Thomas argued against premarital sex and adultery, telling one friend that he would leave a wife on the spot if she was unfaithful to him, he also showed an unusual interest in talking about sex in gross and explicitly anatomical language, according to several college classmates. By the time he reached Yale Law School, Thomas was known not only for the extreme crudity of his sexual banter, but also for avidly watching pornographic films and reading pornographic magazines, which he would describe to friends in lurid detail. An interest in pornography might ordinarily be considered a private matter, but colleagues recall that Thomas was notable for the unusually public nature of his enthusiasm for pornographic materials. His detailed descriptions of the movies and magazines he had seen were an open form of socializing during these years that seemed funny to some, offensive to others, and odd to many. Oh. <laughs> oh, boy. So It's he's... been a rough road so far, but we finally got to the funny part. Where he It's not do, funny. He, he doing play-by-play play of these pornos he's watching. Look, this ends obviously in sexual harassment and a woman getting attacked on a national stage, and that is not funny. But the fact that he is in college, like, showing up at parties and being like, you guys gotta hear about this fucking porno I just watched. To, like, mixed groups of people who are like, what the fuck, dude? So, uh, honestly, I'm and I'm thinking with the vanity plates, it, it just feels unnecessary, and it, yeah. it, 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 it's, a, it's a smack in the face of the proper bureaucracy we're trying to want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Um, <laughs> do you guys know what gape? Uh, never mind. Uh, all right. Uh, it's, it's butthole stuff. Any of y'all ever seen a facial? <laughs> Man, I'm telling you, that's how mm. this one. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what I was looking at at the mm -hmm. end of the video. I don't know what I was looking at. I was like, is that a windsock? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Colleague spills some coffee on his shirt, and he's like, so I was watching some German stuff the other night. Yeah. Let me tell you. <laughs> I mean, now that you mention it, not, I didn't mention anything. I said, I'm sorry I spilled something on you. Um, God. Yeah, it is. Yikes. This is part of a broad and a really weird and unsettling pattern for Thomas. Friends and coworkers. And again, this is a lot of this comes from the book Strange Justice by Jane Mayer. And I think Jill Abramson is her name. Um, two reporters. Jane, we've talked about a lot. She's a huge reporter on the Koch brothers. Mm -hmm. Um they find so many people with stories of Clarence talking in explicit detail about porn that he watches. It is like a normal thing in his life. Um, and, and friends and coworkers recall that most of the time at work, he's he's a quiet man. He's very polite, very respectful, very normal. And then every now and then he just kind of goes bug fuck in ways people around him don't really know how to cope with. One friend told Jane Mayer, quote, 1% of the time he would go off the deep end. He'd say stuff I can't possibly repeat, stuff that would turn your ears red, things having to do with the person's anatomy. He'd say things like, suck out of my ass with a straw all the time. But this was different. It was a lot worse, and I don't feel comfortable talking about it. Wait, wait, wait. This guy just set the fucking floor as suck as out of my asshole That's with a straw? That's the normal shit That's Clarence Thomas says. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god! I mean, I w even in my joking, I, I was still mm -hmm. being like coy yeah. a little bit. But I mean, he's it makes like sense. Reddit the in guy. graphic detail. Yeah. It makes, and he's also has like this. He occupies this weird space of like a sexually repressed like teenager kid who's yeah. like, yeah, you know what? I kind of nasty shit I watch. Yeah, let me tell you about this weird shit I saw at the porn theater. Yeah. And I think that is like he is a connoisseur of pornography. There are people who, like, worked at porn theaters in D.C. with stories of him coming in to rent things. Like, he goes in for the weird shit. Like, he is an obsessive consumer of this. He finds, like, baffling and bizarre porn, and then he just, like, talks about it at work in the government. <sighs> um, yeah. I just, like, and also, like, he, it's like a fucking weird character from a fucking... Yeah like comedy where it's like my boss is really like 99% of the time like he's like this and then yeah. he goes off the deep end yeah yeah it's bizarre um there are rumors that he was abusive in his first ma marriage physically abuses abusive there are not allegations from his ex-wife that i am aware of and it's kind of i to be honest I, I from what i have seen at least i don't think there's a lot there um, at least not that I ran into Meyer and Abramson note that 
like in their in again their very critical biography he receives custody of their son after the divorce um which is why they think that he there might not have been anything to get like these are just rumors around him as opposed mm -hmm. to like somebody making an allegation so mm -hmm. they are out there you can find them i'm not aware of like much solid there um he does this is actually kind of something where really worth noting he's make sure to take custody of his son after the divorce which is him breaking this one cycle in his family history right 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 he, he is the he is the man the 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 father in his family line who does not hand over his fucking kid well not his son not his well exactly right yeah he doesn't have, he doesn't have a daughter so yeah we, we don't I, know how that would have hard gone, to right? fully test that theory yeah, it, yeah. It, you're, you are right miles it has not been completely tested yeah it's um, like you say like, you lucky you look you my son <laughs> yeah. like what um now there are rumors uh oh sorry i already said that now at, at any rate danforth uh the guy he's been working for becomes a u.s senator in 1977 and thomas leaves his employee he has a, an opportunity to go with him to dc but he's like that would be a in his mind, kind of a lower prestige job than working for a state attorney general. Um, and more to the point, Danforth, before he leaves, helps Thomas get a job in the private sector. This is like the high paid mm. lawyer job he's been wanting all the time yeah. as a lawyer representing the Monsanto Chemical Corporation. <laughs> Yeah, it is. This is like the one lawyer job he does other than like politics shit. And you it's Monsanto. <laughs> Hey, I mean, that's what he wanted, right? He wanted his big, cushy, earth-fucker mm -hmm. job, so he, does. he got it. He fucks the shit out of the earth. Um, yeah. Now, obviously, Monsanto has done a number of questionable things. I don't really see evidence that Clarence was super directly involved in it. His job was sure. much more, um, his job was much more, like, rudimentary sort of like mechanic his job was much more mechanical he was registering herbicides with the epa right he was oh. the guy who was like like interfacing with the epa in order to handle the registration of product project products um right. so he's it's not like, like yeah. he's not I'm, like the trigger man they send out when they poison people right like he's the guy who's who's like doing this very kind of like meat and potatoes role right um, exactly he's like they're like oh wow monsanto you must do some yeah yeah <laughs> Like with, yeah. gly with glyphosate and stuff like that. Oh yeah, 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 big stuff. <laughs> yeah, I, big stuff. No, he just fucking registers them. He fucking filled out paperwork. <gasps> Can't even commit crimes right. Oh my so, god, get away! From, you're such a fucking nerd. You don't mm -hmm. even. Oh, you just register the fucking Roundup. Get out of here. So the main benefit of this job is that it doubles his salary, which obviously allows him to live in much more comfort while he waits for his next political break, which comes near the end of 1979. Now, this was through Danforth again, who had taken a real shine to Clarence. Uh, Danforth, Danforth decided that he wanted to integrate his Senate staff, and he asked Thomas if he wanted a job as a legislative assistant. Clarence agreed on the condition that he work on absolutely no, quote, black issues, right? And this is a big part of what he liked about Wait, Monsanto. Wait, who said to do that? Thomas. Thomas does not want to work on black issues. He said, okay, I'll... Okay, okay no danforth heard, is heard. not saying that danforth right, right, is just okay. like just hey making, do you want yeah, a job <laughs> and thomas is like the only way i'll do that is if i'm not doing black stuff right this is part of why he wants he likes working for monsanto because he gets experience in environmental and energy like law Where and he money. wants to do that because it's not well there's money and it's also not at all associated with like civil rights it's not has nothing to do in people's oh, eyes with my, the black oh so it's like comfort it's like comfortable in that sense that yes. he doesn't have to that have to reckon in his consciousness versus like, no, I think it's your right to fucking poison people. That's yeah. All yeah. And also I think he doesn't want to get like pigeonholed, right? Like mm -hmm. I don't want to just be uh, the, like the black guy who does black law stuff. Right. Like right. if I'm going to be, like, I don't want to help I'll be people doing live yeah. better lives. Well, also, yeah. Shit. That's also what he's saying, which is again, directly the opposite of what he claimed to his grandfather. He wanted to do as a lawyer. Anyway, right. uh, he seems to have been good at this job. Um, again, not particularly noteworthy, although legislative assistants generally aren't. Uh, the one thing that his colleagues really recognized in Clarence was his remarkable ambition. Mayor and Abramson write, quote, Less than a year after arriving in Washington, over lunch with a reporter in the Washington Bureau of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, Thomas mentioned that he had his eye on a better job. John Sawyer, now the paper's Washington bureau chief, recalled being astonished when Thomas, who was an affable but completely unknown aide to a freshman senator, announced that the spot he wanted was nothing less than a seat on the U.S. Supreme Court. So he's 
he is gunning for the job that he gets pretty much from the beginning of Fucking his time in Terminator politics. over here. Yeah, yeah. He's he's he figures out that this is like possible for him if he kind of makes the right inroads with the Republican Party, and yeah. he's like a fucking laser from this point on. One hundred percent, and he's incentivized <laughs> in the darkest fucking ways. It is, and it's also wild to think that the reason like he even gets his head turned in this direction of like law or politics is because you know he got rejected by the vienna academy of fine arts i guess in yeah the form of uh atlanta private like yeah like law firms and shit like that he's like oh really yeah oh really okay i got something yeah. for you then yeah i got ideas so Thomas uh, makes his mind up early on to play to the right in order to secure himself a more prestigious career. But he also finds himself increasingly in ideological step, not just with conservatives, but with the extreme fringes of the right wing, which were actively moving in to take over from liberal Republicans. Again, this is the last era against in which liberal Republicans are influential. In other episodes, we've talked, I mean, we're talking about Danforth now, who is one liberal Republican. We've talked a lot in the past about Henry Kissinger appreciator Nelson Rockefeller, who is a <laughs> Republican and also a very, like, a, a liberal. Um, this is the period in which those people are being, like, held underwater until the bubbles stop, right? Right. <laughs> um, and two of the people who are big factors in this are two black conservatives, uh, both of whom have a huge influence on Clarence Thomas. Now, one of these guys is Thomas Sowell, an, eco an economist and a writer who I was given a lot of this guy's fucking books when I was a little kid. Um, Sowell raised, rage against, raged against the NAACP as a snobby clique of elites. Uh, he called out affirmative action because, quote, those who were already well off were made even better off, while the ostensible beneficiaries were either neglected or made worse off. And it's interesting to me because, like, Sowell is kind of calling out Clarence Thomas because mm -hmm. he's he's a he's a middle class kid who, because he's middle class, is able to take advantage of some of these like affirmative action programs because he's in a position to do so. That is what Cla that Sowell is. I don't think that's a good reason not to support those programs, but that's what Sowell's arguing. And he's kind of talking directly about Clarence Thomas. Right. Um, which is interesting. Yeah. Now, um, this does not seem to have had any influence on Clarence Thomas, uh, who loves Sowell, uh, and later said that encountering his ideas was like, quote, pouring half a glass of water on the desert. I just soaked it up. Now, one thing Sowell loved to talk about was the fact that women made less than men because that's what they wanted. They took easier jobs so that they could have babies later. So it's oh fine. It's God. all good, Miles. Oh, wow. It's all good. They make that choice for their babies that they're going to have in the future because they don't have other options. Let me tell you, some tell you something about women. All right. They want the easier jobs because they can't work so hard when they make the babies. That's right. Okay? Mm -hmm. What a pat patronizing motherfucking state. It is a really patronizing <laughs> I state. I mean, that's just, and the fact is, like, that shit, is, that thinking still is, is existing now in a yes. very substantial yes. way. We haven't moved that far from fucking cishet dudes being like, no. let me tell you something about a woman's body that I yeah. have no corporal experience I am with. A hundred percent certain we're going to have that thinking used by Clarence Thomas in a terrible Supreme Court decision in like, I don't know, oh, yeah. three months, four? He's like, like I was watching Dr. Oz and said the <laughs> vagina is like a self-cleaning <laughs> oven. That's why mm -hmm. they do not need an OBGYN. That's an yeah. outlawed medical practice. Yeah, like, I'm, I'm making it a crime to do medicine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. oh no miles you know what else is a crime hmm. how low the prices are on oh. our sponsors products literally illegal if you buy <laughs> any of these products the fbi will break down your door and shoot your dog i mean the That's sec's the already the investigating the sec's coming after you no matter what yeah you're fucked you're fucked they're on you sophie is that how is that is that the script that the company sent us are we good it's a version of it it looks I think, like i think sophie stepped away Napping on the job. No, no I'm just angrily very, shaking my head yeah, at you because I have I no fucking yeah. words. <laughs> <laughs> Sophie, products. Thanks. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. 
It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Ah, products. So Mm. the other black Republican who influenced Thomas in this period was Jay Parker, a writer and a firebrand who believed the government should end all state and local aid for food, clothing, shelter, and everything else. Um, Now, so Jay Parker, not a great guy, right, by that little description. Here's what's cool. Jay Parker is obviously, because of everything we just said, very useful to Reagan-era conservatives who come to power shortly after Thomas gets to D.C., but Parker is also very useful to another group of white conservatives, the apartheid government of South Africa. Oh, fuck. (laughs) Wow. Why why do these... Why did this group of people enter the game? Yeah, it's this is a cool story, Miles. Cool may not be the right word. This is the thing that happened. Cool zone media. Mm Mm-hmm. Starting in the Nixon administration, South Africa launched a massive propaganda blitz aimed at shoring up their reputation. They spent more than $100 million a year targeting vast segments of the U.S. population. And this included, in one of its otter chapters, reaching out to black America. The apartheid government of South Africa bought several prominent black organizers to push their cause, generally without wide success. Jay Parker was one of these guys. And I'm going to quote now from Rebecca Davis of Rhodes University. Jay Parker promoted the entrance of the Transkai and Vinda before taking on the representation of the South African government, and in 2009 wrote an unrepentant biography tellingly titled, Courage to Put My Country Above Color. William A. Keyes, a former policy advisor to Ronald Reagan, was hired by the South African embassy to act as Praetorius point man to the U.S. black community, and was paid almost $400,000 for his services. So this is, number one, a thing that a bunch of guys, a bunch of particularly like black speakers and writers who are associated with the Reagan administration Mm -hmm. take apartheid money and they justify it by saying like, well, they're fighting against communism. That's why Jay Parker calls his biography putting my country above color, right? Like, yes, they are a nightmare racist regime, but it's more important to fight communism. I was protecting America. Wait, so wait, the interest, yes, the interest of the country that enslaved people like me, I'm, that's my priority, actually. Yep. To do what's in the best interest of that entity, more so than the people that were oppressed. That's how, do you, do you get where I'm going That now? is literally the title of Jay Parker's biography. Yeah. The title, so, the title should be, yeah, I mean, they enslaved us, but... But... 
but yeah. what, sir? But <laughs> communism. Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah. We will, I think at some point we might talk about, like, the apartheid government of South Africa's American PR company and tour, because yeah. it is a story. I can't but imagine. Jay Parker, this guy who was a bought and paid for instrument of the apartheid government, I can't say that enough, is one of Clarence Thomas's intellectual, like, icons, um, and also a good personal friend of his. Um, Thomas and Parker, like, worked together at the Reagan White House. Um, and, you know, the fact that he befriends Parker winds up being very good for his career. Thomas gets put on a job, gets a job uh, on the incoming administration's transition team with the EEOC, or Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. And since the Reaganites didn't like the idea of equal anything, this job was about gutting the organization, not running it, right? Mm -hmm. Like, that's why they're they're putting him on there. Yeah. Now, obviously, this is not really in line with Thomas's promise to his grandfather that he was going to fight the good fight in his own way, but it does bring him closer to power. So working as the transition lead for the EEOC, he begins what is unfortunately a continuing negative trend, taking his personal opinions on what struggling people ought to do and forcing them into government policy. So Thomas has a weird bug up his ass about class action lawsuits, which had emerged in this period to become the primary method by which people who were not rich and powerful held corporations and the government accountable. One of the first things he does at the EEOC is he sends out a memo suggesting that worker discrimination suits should have to be proven on a case-by-case basis, one-by-one, rather than being done via class class action. He also co-authors a report in 1980 that attacks the existing definition of sexual harassment. The old definition had included unwelcome sexual attention, either verbal or physical. Thomas argued this was too broad and that including verbal comments would lead to a, quote, barrage of trivial complaints. The report he helped author concluded that the elimination of personal slights and sexual advances, which contribute to an intimidating, hostile or offensive working environment, is a goal impossible to reach. And take it from me, the mm-hmm. guy who has to talk about porn nonstop. It's just going to be him. I mean, you basically it's going to be a anymore. mess, guys. Yeah. <laughs> like, what I. I might as well wear a ball gag mm-hmm. and a leather mask and some restraints. I don't know. That might be pretty hot. But I don't know. I was just watching this video. Got me thinking. <laughs> like, wait, what, what? First, let me tell you about the cum shot. So yeah. <laughs> imagine there's like Holy a shit. tarantula made out of cock heading right towards your face. And then when it goes <laughs> off, you know those Oreo ads where you're mixing two of them together and there's just that <laughs> splash of the white foam? <laughs> The white foam. Oh. oh no! Yeah, it's bad. It's frothy. It's one of those frothy ones. It's one of those frothy. It's like the top of a what? What I imagine people drink in Seattle. One of those foamy lattes. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I don't drink those much, but you know, the kind mm-hmm. of leaves a mustache. He's. Uh, it's again every <laughs> single thing. It's like you're starting to make sense of how he moves. Like, yeah. of course he. Sexual harassment can't be real because mm-hmm. then anything he says is like gross and over the mm-hmm. line and offensive. Well, it's even one of the things that's interesting is they're like in that last line, you see, they're talking about personal slights and sexual advances contribute to an intimidating, hostile or offensive work environment, offensive work environment. But they're saying stopping that is impossible. Right. So why would we try all that hard, right? Like that's yeah. that's the conclusion, which is amazing. Which is wild because it's. But then the again, because the, there's no such thing as hypocrisy. They're just they just do whatever Never. they want. Because on the other yes. side, it's like, well, we want to stop every single person from doing this thing, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but sexual harassment, like, there's no way, there's no way, there's no way. You can't even fucking do anything. You can't even fucking do anything about it. You yeah, I mean? it's again. This is this is a broader question, but like when we're talking about dealing with conservatives and their attempts to fuck people over, there's no point in treating them like they are good faith actors because no. their their goal is to restrict you and do whatever the fuck they want. So yeah. stop pretending that that's the case. Yeah, to yeah um, to, to continue to be like, but they just said this other thing about a parallel subject. Mm-hmm. You're like mother that's not where they're at yeah they use the like the skin of humans to be like it's all about doing whatever we want to whoever yeah it's like yeah again it's like clarence thomas being like i don't believe interracial marriage is right oh now i want to have one so now it's fine like oh man have y'all had sex with a white woman though yeah 
like that he's it doesn't matter like bringing it up to like again we're kind of acknowledging these things and a number of hypocrisies because it's important to note it for history but like none of this matters in an argumentative standpoint they're not there to have a good faith conversation no. they're there to exercise power in ways that hurt people it's just power um, yeah it's not yeah. about any kind of consistency of thought. yeah it's just yeah it's cool it's cool and good it's like taking the apartheid south african government's money uh, in order right. to claim that you're just such an anti-communist that this has to be done. It, um, so while Thomas ingratiated himself to the Reagan administration, he also began increasingly publicizing his existence as a black conservative. He joined an organization created by Thomas Sowell and started giving interviews where he would talk about his hardscrabble upbringing and how traditional right-wing values had gotten him through a tumultuous childhood of poverty. Now, this is not really true, right? Oh my like, again, god! Yeah, there's certainly a number of like uh, his uh, hard scrabble aspects of his youth, and especially his grandpa's story. But like, he comes into his grandpa's middle class life and is is you know taken care of as a result of that. Yeah, um, not because of his and, hardcore conservative values. Yes, and exactly. And a lot of his recollections of his family later, two conservatives, are deliberate lies or at least exaggerations that he made to sell his image better. He told one audience, quote, where I grew up or when I grew up, there was more a feeling of responsibility for kids that you brought into the world. These were values you learned. The government didn't have a damn thing to do about it. And like, that's the opposite of your childhood, <laughs> Clarence. You were like, wow. your whole family was like a bunch of dudes, like being like, no, I'm not going to. I ain't taking care of that kid. Like, that was wow. not the values that you learned from your family, Clarence wow. Thomas. Such, I mean, he's, I mean, I mean, this, this, he's a fucking Terminator. Yeah. He doesn't give a fuck. He's got to figure it yeah. out. It's like all the calculations are made. Like, do, 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 lie about this shit, lie about this shit. They will and love it, you for it. The worst of it is when he lies about his sister, because Clarence Thomas is super fine with throwing members of his family under the bus for political clout. Right. The book Strange Justice covers a fateful interview that he had with a reporter from The Washington Post. Quote, it was in this interview that Thomas first publicly denounced his sister's reliance on public assistance. She is so dependent, Thomas told the Post. She gets mad when the mailman is late with her welfare check. What's worse, he continued, is that now her kids feel entitled to the check, too. They have no motivation for doing better or getting out of that situation. Now, Miles, there's a number of ways this could be fucked up, but I want to be perfectly clear here. All of that was a vicious and calculated lie. His sister had received government assistance at some point. She was not on welfare when he made this statement, nor had she been for a particularly extended period of time. The only reason of her period of her life in which she was on government assistance was so she had taken up working double shifts for minimum ways in a nursing home in order mm -hmm. to not be on public assistance right in the period when he makes these claims the reason that she had spent a brief period of time on welfare was not that she was dependent it was because she had had to quit her job when their aunt got sick and was dying and she took her aunt in and took care of her while clarence thomas did nothing the that's one that why took she him was, in yes that's why she oh was briefly on government assistance god like that is a fucked up thing to say about How your goddamn you sister everybody over like, with one that fucking is story fucked. Yeah, that first is of all, real bad fucking, guy shit. If you need help, yeah. you need fucking help. There's not a problem yes, with yes, that. Yes, there's so nothing wrong with being on assistance. Then That's on top the of it, you want to yeah. then make up a lie to also smear the smear your sister and yeah. also obscure the fact that you're an ain't shit nephew too. Because what what he's saying is that like, well, she's just been ruined by welfare, and now her kids are being ruined by it's it. She's so cycle. dependent, and the reality is like. She is making the health and well-being of a loved one her responsibility when you wouldn't. And that's why she briefly had to go on welfare before taking double shifts for minimum wage in order to get off of it. Like, wow. Like, Jesus Christ, dude. It's just disgusting, too, man, because, yeah. again, with his Terminator-like precision, yeah. he is willing at every turn to commodify his blackness like and weaponize it in service of further white supremacy and but then we're also hearing his fucked up story this was yeah. a person who felt never felt he belonged fucking anywhere mm -hmm. and it's like he's the it's like this like horrible fucking echo of like american society that's yeah. like <laughs> manifested back into the form of this person who yeah. has been like yeah man i've seen a lot of fucked up shit because like you know fucking america but mm -hmm. also now i'm here to 
be the Let's fucking keep destroyer. it going. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's freaky, man. It's like yeah. the fucking, ugh. He's bad. So the fact that he was willing to throw his sister under the bus in such a gross way for such mild clout was noted at the time by his colleagues as kind of fucked up. And he felt defensive enough about it that he lied to one of his aides and assured him that the comments had been taken out of context. And he'd been so upset when that journalist had meanly quoted him that he'd had to drive through the night to apologize to his sister. Now, when they heard this claim, Jane Mayer and Jill Abramson went to his sister to ask if he had driven through the night to apologize. No recollection of that apology. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not from MMA. Of course not. Of course not. Um, so that's cool. Um, and obviously, this is bad. You shouldn't do this as a person mm-hmm. to your sister, to anybody, really. But this goes over great in Ronald Reagan's Republican Party. This right. is a really good way to make oh, your career as a Republican. Um, he gets offered two different jobs with the administration. Now, one would have been working as a low-level policy aide, and his work would have had nothing to do with race. He would be handling environmental and energy issues. But that work was not glamorous, and it paid for shit. So he turns down the job. The hmm. next gig they offer him is Assistant Secretary for Civil Rights in the Department of Education. So, part three, Miles, you and me are going to talk about his entrance into a presidentially appointed job in the Reagan administration and his road to the Supreme Court. But, Miles, Uh, why don't we talk about your own road to the Supreme Court? Yeah, let's Mm -hmm. do it. Uh Um, this episode will be played at my confirmation hearing Mm -hmm. or at the tribunals, mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. when the full takeover happens. Mm -hmm. I don't know one of them, Mm -hmm. uh, at miles of gray on Twitter and Instagram and just podcast daily zeitgeist. If you like news and politics every day four twenty day fiance, if you like weed and reality television or miles and Jack got mad boosties, Mm -hmm. if you like basketball, three places to see me. I do like the idea of you standing before the Senate being confirmed as a Supreme court justice. And like Ted Cruz is like, now, Mr. Gray, is mm-hmm. it true that you, uh, you, you, you've, you've ingested an illegal narcotic known as marijuana and you just push play on an excerpt of this episode yeah. where you're saying sun chips by cum chips by cum sun chips. chips. By, <laughs> yeah. By Billy, by Billy G. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Is it true that you said I am a gross fuck turd mm-hmm. on uh, an episode of uh, the daily zeitgeist number four four three three mm-hmm. uh yeah it mm-hmm. is i would have i would have been like which time yeah i don't know if i God. said that exactly may have, i said may have said sniffling fuck turd or something like that mm. i don't know but anyway any other questions are we good okay mm-hmm. cool it would be fun to do yeah and t- i'm like now can we get to the gladiator phase of the supreme court <laughs> uh, confirmation <laughs> hearing i can't wait to fight the other fucking nominees it, it would be really It'd be really fun to get confirmed by the Senate because you would get to repeatedly say to Ted Cruz, didn't didn't a guy like call your wife ugly and then you had to pretend he was awesome for yeah. years? Didn't you like eat it? How do you boot? feel about that? How does wow. your wife feel about that? You and Heidi are still together? Oh yeah. my God. <laughs> wow, dude. Yo, dude, I read that thing where like your daughter was like, yo, leave him, mom. Yeah. That's really fucked up. I commend you, bro, for not letting that affect you in any way visibly. Yeah, being totally fine. Being so chill with that. All right, man. Cancun uh, on three. Mm-hmm. Oh. So, Miles, that's our episode. Thank mm. you. Everyone, check out Miles, 420 Day Fiance, uh, The Daily Zeitgeist, and that basketball podcast with boosties in the name. Mad I don't know boosties. basketball slangs. Oh yeah. What, you know what that does that mean? Ball. What does that mean? It means what you got ups, man. You can jump. You got vertical okay. vertical okay. takeoff ability. You got mad boosties. All right. Well, I do have a package from ups, but I haven't picked it up from the, the place yet. Oh my god, that was such a boomer joke. Get the fuck out. Did you Sorry, I can't hear you, Sophie. My ear horn is in the other room. Oh my <laughs> Sorry. god. My Eagles vinyl no. is is about to arrive. <laughs> Oh, let me tell you about the Eagles of all the bands. Oh my God. Don Henley. Wow. Don, that's it. That's the name of a guy from the Eagles. <laughs> no, Miles. For me, it's Credence all the way, baby. Oh, my okay. God. But, okay. <laughs> Robert has a book called After the Revolution. You can buy mm. it. AK yeah. Press. Uh, at Cool Zone Media. Okay. The episode's fucking over. That was the episode a terrible is done. joke. Thank you. 
Hey everybody, Robert Evans here, host of Behind the Bastards and a bunch of other podcasts. Here to let you know that Cool Zone Media is going on break next week. This isn't something we normally do, but as our producer Sophie is currently on the run from the ATF, it was the only option. So next week, there will be no new episodes of Behind the Bastards, no new episodes of It Could Happen Here, uh, no new episodes of Nothing. We will be back the next week after uh, the week of the first um, to continue providing you with far too many podcasts. So just chill out next week. That's what we will be doing. Chilling out and hiding Sophie from the ATF. Love you all. See you soon. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals. It's not about being the best in the world. It's about doing what's best for the world. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. This is Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a Corolla built just for you. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota. Let's go places.